few months ago, I was, uh, I was sitting on my couch and got a text. And this was a text from a person who had been around Bruce City Church for a good amount of time. And I knew well he's a friend. And he texted me some personal things and some things about church and some ways in which we've interacted as him as a person who is part of the church that I help lead. And he sent me this article in this text message. It was this article by, written by a pastor in suburban Chicago. He's a Presbyterian pastor. And he'd been at his church for about 10 years. And this letter, this article, he kind of published, but it was because he was resigning as a pastor. I'm not resigning. Just get that out of the way. But this guy was resigning. He's, his name's Alexander Lang, and he had been leading this church for about 10 years. And he wasn't just leaving this church and resigning his position at this church in suburban Chicago. He was leaving the pastorate. He was part of this great resignation, they call it. And he outlined in this article a number of reasons why he was leaving not just his church, but leaving the pastorate altogether, leaving this idea of leading a church. And there were a number of re- things in there that popped out that stood out to me. There was a couple of things that didn't resonate at all, but there was this one thing at the end of this article that I read, and this one thing that this pastor in suburban Chicago mentioned that resonated with me deeply. It's something that pretty much all pastors in the American church today either deal with and try to figure out how to, how to work our way through it, or way too many of us pastors actually feed this monster. And it's stuck with me, obviously. I'm talking about it with you here today. It's something that kind of stuck with me, and I've I've wanted to talk to you guys about it. So let me just read this little section from this pastor who was resigning and leaving the pastorate, and let's talk about it. He said in one of these headings, this is one of the last things in this article, but he said, I spent a lot of time in therapy over the years as a way of processing the challenges of the church. My most recent therapist introduced me to the concept of growth mindset versus fixed mindset. Growth mindset versus fixed mindset. A growth mindset is when a person is willing to take chances, enjoys learning new things, and is not afraid to fail. Conversely, people with fixed mindsets don't like to be challenged. They perceive failure as the limit of their abilities. Are you hearing this? That many of us have this fixed mindset where we think we've, we know all we're going to know, and basically now our job is to fake it until we make it, to pretend that we have it all figured out, even though we clearly know we don't. That's one way of living. Or having a growth mindset, knowing that I don't know everything, but the joy of life is growing and learning and evolving and changing and all of this. They perceive their failure People with a fixed mindset perceive failure as the limit of their abilities. They tend to be scared of learning new things, particularly if that education disrupts their current worldview. Now we're getting into some things that might be pertinent for the church. I'm going to read that again. 
People with a fixed mindset perceive failure as the limit of their abilities. They tend to be scared of learning new things, particularly if that education disrupts their current worldview. I am firmly, this pastor said, in the camp of growth mindset. And I assume that the entire purpose of the church, that that was the entire purpose of the church, to have a growth mindset. When I became a pastor, I thought that the reason why this group of people gathered every Sunday was to explore deep questions about life, to push one another, ourselves, to become better humans. What I've learned over the past 10 years is that my assumption was wrong. Although there are definitely some people who come to church for the reason I, reasons I outlined above, these are some of my biggest supporters. He said, the majority of people who attend churches are in the fixed mindset category. Most Christians don't want their thinking challenged. They come to church to reinforce what they've believed their entire lives. From the per- perspective from their perspective, the job of the pastor is not to push them to grow, but to reassure assure them that they are already on the right track. Any, lear- any learning should support the party line and comfort them that their investment of resources in the church will result in a payoff somewhere down the line, particularly, particularly once they reach the afterlife. This pastor said, this is the exact opposite of how I function. Although I always try to end my messages with a sense of hope, my goal was to make you think. Nothing was off limits. I have no problem dismantling the traditional Christian belief system in, its, in service of logic and reason, particularly if it helps us make sense of the world. Whereas most pastors eschew nuance in favor of black and white thinking, I believe we discover God's presence by digging into the complexity of those details. Hence, I eventually came to the conclusion that my particular skill set and perspective is a mismatch for the institutional church. What I offer is not what most Christians are looking for, which is another reason I've decided to move on, he said. I realize that if I spend the rest of my life fighting a system that is not designed for someone like me, I'm going to end up an angry, bitter, broken shell of a human being. Now, I had never heard it worded quite like that. Having a fixed mindset or a growth mindset. But the reason that this resonated with me so deeply is because this is the story, truly, of the modern American church. There are all sorts of pastors and church leaders just like me who see and recognize this dynamic where people walk in these doors, any door in the American church, and they're looking to have their beliefs and expectations and preconceived notions and worldviews affirmed. We're looking to be told, congratulations, you've got it all figured out. Congratulations, 
we all have got 100% on the final exam of life, right? The reality that this pastor was speaking to is that most people walking through the doors of the church not only want, but they expect to, to have what they already believe affirmed. And if they don't have it affirmed, if they get challenged or pushed or prodded or pressed in any way, we know people are going to leave. Now, I'm not saying this because I think this is a huge problem within Brew City Church, but I am saying this because, first of all, as I've said, this is an observation that me and many, many pastors have made in the last five years in particular. This has been a phenomenon in the church for a long time, but since COVID, we've all been pressurized and pressed like we're in a pressure cooker and all of the ugliness just starts coming out. And the reality is, is that the churches that are growing in our world, in, a, in, in America right now, are the churches who I would say have abandoned the gospel of Jesus Christ and who have adopted a political ideology and said, I'm going to, to, to dig in so deeply in this right here and tell you that, and I'm going to tell you what the political talking heads are t what, telling you you should be hearing so that we can grow our church. And these churches, friends, are exploding right now. These church networks and denominations, they're growing. And see, here's the deal. I think having this expectation of walking through these doors with a fixed mindset, wanting to be affirmed in what we already think we know and what we already believe is extremely counterintuitive to being a follower of Jesus. See, because being a follower of Jesus, friends, saying I, I follow Jesus. If, if you're here, you probably have said that, and if you haven't, I'm so glad you're here. But saying you're a follower of Jesus means inherently I'm willing and actually wanting and desiring to change everything about who I am. But see, we've been set up for failure. What I'm talking about here, friends, is church culture. Church culture. See, every church has a culture, whether we realize it or not. Every faith community has a culture to it. If you're new here, you're trying to pick up on what the church culture is here at Bruce City Church. I hope you're, you're going you're to find that the church culture here is welcoming, loving, inclusive, open, embracing, and centered around Jesus. If you find that, we've done our job. If you haven't, we have as a church some work to do. But every church has a culture in this, this idea that we're talking about, this having a fixed mindset or a growth mindset is really, really one of those underlying pieces to what shapes and forms a church culture. I talk to pastors all the time. And what I've observed in the last decade and a half, and I've said this out loud to pastors, is too many pastors kind of see themselves and too many church leaders kind of see themselves as kind of 
going with the flow of their church culture as if they can't shape or change anything. You'll hear pastors, pastors love to complain. Pastors love to commiserate about their congregations. If you're a pastor's kid or related to a pastor, you know what I'm talking about. And what I want to say every time I hear a pastor complaining about the culture of their church, and what I sometimes do say if, if I'm close enough with that person is, you don't have to settle for that. Like, you get, along with your leadership, along with your, your, the Holy Spirit, to, to shape and form your church culture, not just be kind of uh, on the boat, bumping and going along and barfing over the side to your church culture. In this message today, it's a really unusual message. This is, I almost never do this. We're not in a sermon series, we're actually in between sermon series. But I wanted to take advantage of this moment to be able to talk about this really, really formational concept of what it means to be a church and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. See, because I believe, I almost feel like I know that we, the church in America is in a crisis moment, and this is just one of those bits of why we're in a crisis. See, because if we're in a fixed mindset as followers of Jesus, what does that mean? Let me just ask you. What, is, what does it mean if we're in a fixed mindset? We're not growing, thank you. What does it mean to be in a fixed mindset if we, as we walk in these doors? And not even just as we walk in these doors, but as a follower of Jesus. What does it mean for us if we're in a fixed mindset? Certainty, no we embrace certainty rather than questions. We're not... Fear of changing your mind. Yeah. Forgetting to pray for wisdom and not realizing that maybe I don't have all the wisdom that God has or the world has. What does it mean to have a fixed mindset? We don't hear well. We don't listen well. We're just looking to and listening for what we already think. We're not inclusive if we're in a fixed mindset. fixated, we might be fixated on success or failure as a church, and that is for people like me in many ways, comfortable. You guys are on point this morning. See, living in a fixed mindset means I'm not a teachable person. And if I'm not a teachable person, what does that mean for me as a follower of Jesus? See, I believe that this reality that I identify as a follower of Jesus means that I've said yes to being on a transform transformative journey. I, when you say yes to Jesus, that means you say yes to being on a journey of transformation. Do you know what the word, this is a really simple question, do you know what the word transformation means? Let's hear it. Changing, growing. A caterpillar turns into a butterfly and transforms. Saying yes to Jesus means that we are saying yes to being on a transformative journey. It means that saying yes to Jesus there's a requirement that we say yes to being 
having a growth mindset. Here's the problem. I think, and this is, this is just my verbiage, it's a little bit, it's a little bit snarky, don't feel insulted, because I, when I talk about this, I'm talking about all of us, but I think many of us in the church, and I'm not going to be arrogant and say mostly outside churches, I think many of us, if not most of us in the American church, have what I would call a Sunday school spirituality. A Sunday school spirituality. Now, what I mean by that is, we have Sunday school happening right now. Praise Jesus, we have... We have nursery and preschool kids downstairs having fun with one another, hoping to learning that they're loved and received by Jesus and by the church. We have kids upstairs in the elementary area who are learning these lessons, these foundational lessons and being shaped by the scriptures. And I'm really proud of the Sunday school that we have. My, Sarah Nye, our, our children's ministry director, she writes these fresh lessons and I, I see her laboring over how do we communicate these truths in a way that's going to teach them, these kids, about who God is and who we are in the world and who we are in light of who, this God that loves us. It's not easy. But see, when you're, when you're young and when you're developing, we give kids these simple boxes that contain theology and spirituality and shape and mold the ways we think about God, that shape and mold the things that we believe about God, who God is and who I am in light of who God is, right? This is good Sunday school stuff. What the Bible is, what the Word of God is, and how to approach and handle the Scriptures. We're taught this from an early age. What the world is and what our interaction with the world should be. We're taught in Sunday school and youth group all the way through what to think about science, what to think about things like sexuality, all of this. And what we're given in, as we develop and grow are the, is this really black and white world. And that's really actually good. Many, many experts say, like, when you're, when you're young and when you're developing, you need these, these closed boxes, this black and white world that's not full of nuance, even though, our, again, our children's ministry director is thinking about what nuance can our kids handle and what can't they? These are really important questions to ask as you're trying to disciple children. But see what happens in the church is that we have way too many pastors and church leaders who just double down on this simplistic black and white theology. This black and white closed set of beliefs about God. This black and white closed set of beliefs about who we are in light of who God is, and these black and white closed set of beliefs about what the world is and shaping our worldview and what, what, again, science or sexuality or whatever it is. We're kind of developed to a certain point with this Sunday school spirituality, and then we're just, these church leaders and pastors are affirming everything that we already think we know, right? But see, I don't think that's a healthy form of spirituality. And here's, here's, here's one of the main reasons pastors and church leaders do this. Well, actually, let me, let me see if you know. 
Why would a pastor or church leader do that? Why would we reaffirm these black and white theological ways of thinking, these black and white ways of approaching the scriptures, these black and white unnuanced ways of, of handling the scriptures, of seeing the world around us, seeing, seeing all this stuff? Why would we do that? It's easy, someone said. You got to speak up if I'm going to hear you. Huh? It's safe. It's easy. There it is. If you couldn't hear Marianne in the back, she says it keeps butts in seats. It's all of the above, but that's the compelling run for people like me. We like having a big room full of people. And we like services being added, and we like the finances and budget going up. And for too many people like me, that's all that we care about. See, because when you look at church growth magazines or, or church leadership magazines or when you talk to your peers who are pastors, the way you kind of compare yourself to one another is you talk about your attendance. You talk about your budget. When somebody, a pastor says that we're having a, a building expansion happening, you know what that means? We're better than you. When's the last time you had a building expansion? Oh, you can't afford it? Sorry. Oh, you've lost people? You sure you're in the right line of work? See, here's what I'm more interested in. It'd be great. I love having my ego padded and having a full room and expanding services in a bigger building and blowing out of the seams. That's fun, and it, it gives you a general adrenaline a little bit, but at the end of the day, here's why I'm a pastor. Here's why, why I'm doing this, why we as church leaders are doing this. It's to have a spiritually mature church community. It's to have a church family who actually takes the words of Jesus seriously. It's to have a church family, a group of people who are willing to be challenged by the person named Jesus. To follow the Spirit, even if it's going against the ways of our world, even if it means losing people. And we certainly have lost people in the last five years who have had a fixed mindset. And so I want to take this opportunity to kind of say, can we have a more mature church culture? I don't want to be a pastor who's writing a letter 10 years from now saying, I can't do it anymore because no one wants to learn, no one wants to be shaped by it, everyone has a fixed mindset. And that's not what I see at Bruce City Church, but I want to name it. I want to say it out loud. See, too few too few people like me just, just stuff this stuff down because we don't trust our congregations enough to have these honest conversations. If you're new to Bruce City Church, this feels heavy. It feels big. But if you are looking for a congregation that actually talks about real life and real things and is willing to challenge people, let's see. So... When we talk about following Jesus, there's one word that he said over and over again, many times. Now, we, 
we're in the Gospel of John for the last year plus. And the Gospel of John isn't one of those Gospels where you hear this word over and over again. It's there, but it's not as much as Matthew and Luke and the Synoptic Gospels. But anybody, can anybody guess what this word is that I'm, trying to get, that I'm, that I'm referring to? This word that Jesus said over and over again as he brought his ministry of the kingdom to earth. It's okay if you're going to be wrong. Repent. Repent, Does, that's, that's a churchy word, right? You, you'd either read that in the Gospels or you see it outside of a sporting event with street preachers on soapboxes hollering and screaming at you. Repent! We hear it with the southern accent often. Jesus didn't have a southern accent. Repent, right? Repent, for the kingdom of God is here. That word in Greek is metanoia, but that word basically means, let me paraphrase Jesus, change for the kingdom of God is here. I want you, it's like I, Jesus, I'm God in the flesh, and I've brought the kingdom of God with me, and now it's your job to change. Change the way you think about God. See, because I am going to introduce you to a God that might feel a little bit foreign, that might be different than what you learned in Sunday school. There's more complexity to God. There's more wonder and beauty than you ever imagined. And in order to understand this God and to follow this God, you're going to have to change the way you think. Jesus said, repent and, and change because, see, I'm going to open up the scriptures, Jesus said, and I'm going to open them up in such a way that you've never heard them referred to before. And you're going to have a decision to make. Are you going to be dedicated to what you learned, perhaps in Sunday school, in the ancient Near East, in your good Jewish rabbinical teachings? Or are you going to listen to and submit to the one who is the fulfillment of the scriptures named Jesus? Change. Change the way you see the people around you. Change the way you see your religion. Change the way you see the scriptures. Change the way you see the Roman Empire around you. Change the way you see the world in which you live. Change your worldview. Change your ideology. Change everything. This is the message of Jesus. And in order to follow Jesus 2,000 years ago, it was a prerequisite to have a growth mindset, to be willing to be challenged, to be willing to be pressed. And it's not just in the New Testament and the Gospels, but in the prophets, we get these really couple of fascinating chapters. The, the prophets in the Old Testament are, to me, some of the most fascinating texts in the whole scriptures. I've heard a, a Franciscan priest say that the, the prophets are un, utterly unique in all of, of, in the whole religious world, the prophets in our scriptures are utterly unique. You know why? Because they are built in self-critique of our own tradition. Does that make sense to you? The prophets in the scriptures, it's an amazing thing that these were canonized and that we get them thousands of years later because the prophets are God's way of saying, you guys have gotten it all wrong. My people, the ones who are called by my name, don't resemble me at all. 
and it's time to bring some correction. What a gutsy thing to include in the scriptures. I want to just point out a couple of scriptures to us so that this isn't just some therapeutic, you don't think this is some therapeutic self-help Sunday morning, but that this is actually rooted in the scriptures. So let's, I'm going to turn to Isaiah 1. Isaiah 1, if you're not familiar with it, is an intense chapter. In Isaiah 1, God is basically making his case against his people. Very, very uh, inspirational, church growth focused. He's bringing his grievances with his people. And if it, I, I recommend that you re- listen to the whole or read the whole thing when you, when you go home. But God, in, through the prophet Isaiah, is just bringing woe to the sinful nation of people whose guilt is great, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on Him. I, this isn't up there, but I'm just trying to give you a taste for how, how jarring this would have been to hear as a people of God, as a church. And this is starting in verse 10 of Isaiah 1. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom and Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Now, this, he's not speaking to Sodom or Gomorrah. Those have been destroyed in ancient times, but this is, God is actually speaking metaphorically and trying to get his people to understand something, and he's calling them the kind of people that are the most abhorrent to them. Sodom and Gomorrah, this famous story, and it's not a story of, 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 about sexuality, it's a story about rape and dominance and hospitality. And if you don't believe me, go turn to Ezekiel 16 on your spare time. And Ezekiel 16 says what the story of Sodom and Gomorrah is about. But God is comparing his people to the worst people they could imagine. And he says this, the multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have had more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. Now, we don't appreciate this because we haven't been in the Old Testament for very long, but we're going to. We're going to be in the Old Testament, and we're going to go through all these laws where God said, sacrifice these rams, sacrifice the fat of these fattened animals, give me the blood, like sacrifice everything for me. That's how you have life. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come up here before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of the temple courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, convocations, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Sheesh. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals, I hate with all my being, says the Lord to his people. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. See, your hands are full of blood. Here's the deal. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Isaiah was a brave man. Let's go forward in Isaiah 58, or what some people, scholars call second Isaiah. 
Isaiah 58, it's been a while since I've read this. This was kind of a mantra in early Bruce City Church, but haven't read it for a while. This is good. Shout it aloud, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. This is the voice of God being declared prophetically through Isaiah. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. See, they thought that being descendants of Jacob made them good with God. For day after day, they come and seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near to them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it, God? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed it? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and you exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking one another with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen, only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for one bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice? It's not some political agenda, it's biblical. To loose the chains of injustice and to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke. It is, is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and to not turn around, turn away from your own flesh and blood, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with a pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourself on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noonday. Now, this is Old Testament language here. In other words, thousands of years old. So allow me to paraphrase for Isaiah 1 and Isaiah 58, translated into modern words and ideas. Imagine me being in the, person, the role of Isaiah, and I come to you and I say, I've got a word from the Lord. And God says this, I am sick of your prayers and devotions. You take pride in reading the Bible most days, some of you every day, save it. You're wasting your time. You think coming to church on a Sunday morning makes you right with me? I'm sick of it. When you raise your hands in worship and look like you're so devoted to me, I look away. I can't bear to watch it anymore. The sound of your singing and your worship, it's detestable. I hate it. Your sermons are just empty, just empty noise. Just quit going through the motions. See, because 
all of these religious practices I've instituted and told you these are that, that I want you to practice them, worship and studying the scriptures and going to church on Sunday mornings and being part of home church and life groups and cell groups and all the groups, reading the scriptures, praying, fasting, doing all the things. That is not what I'm after. See, what God is saying in Isaiah 1 and Isaiah 58 is that all these religious practices that God has instituted, the Israelites, the people of God, did what the people around them did with their gods. And they thought that if I do the things that that God commanded, I'm going to have God's favor. If I jump through the spiritual and religious hoops, I'm going to have a good life. God's going to be on my side. And God is saying here in Isaiah 1 and Isaiah 58 and many other points in the prophets, that is not why I put those religious practices in place. See, I put those religious practices in place, God is saying in Isaiah 1 and Isaiah 58, so that it would change and transform your hearts. I put those religious practices in place for you to reorient your week and be here on a Sunday morning for you to read in the scriptures and for you to pray and for you to worship, it's all designed to reorient the way you think and the way your your, your mind operates and it's designed to transform your heart. It's designed to transform the way you interact with the people around you. It's designed to transform the way you see the people around you. It's designed to suck you out of your, your sinful way of thinking and living and it's designed to make you a person of the kingdom that brings about the kingdom of God rather than the ways of the world around you. Are you with me, church? This is God speaking prophetically to his people saying, I've had enough. You've got this fixed mindset where you think that this religious cult, this religious practice is going to redeem you. But see, only by transforming your heart will you find life. This isn't just an Old Testament thing, too. Let me read you. This is, I'm not even going to turn there. This is Romans 12. It's just such a simple verse, but let's read it anyways. This is Paul talking to the Roman church. He said, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This should just be an expectation for us as God's people that actually as as followers of Jesus, we are continuing. This is not a one-time deal that Paul was talking about. This is a continual reality. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That means you and I, don't know it all. That means that you and I, once we've been given our Sunday school spirituality, haven't arrived. We haven't learned all that there is to learn about the scriptures. We haven't learned all that there is to learn about the way human beings relate to one another, the way human beings operate. We haven't learned all there is to learn about the world around us. But we're called as followers of Jesus to be transformed. In other words, to change by renewing our minds. 
That's a fun thing. Are you here to be transformed by the renewing of your minds? Let me read a, one more thing. This is Paul to the letter of Corinthians. It's probably the second letter, even though it's 1 Corinthians to us. And this, friends, would get Paul kicked out of the American church if he said this to a church today. 1 Corinthians 3. Some of you good Bible people know where I'm going. Paul said this to the church in Corinth. Brothers and sisters, this is 1 Corinthians 3.1. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly. Mere infants in Christ. See, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready, Paul said to the Corinthian church. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For one one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos. Are you not being mere human beings? He's talking to this dynamic of they're arguing over who our authority is in the church and who's the, who's the church leader that we really like. But it's bigger than that. And he's saying, I can't give you the meat of the kingdom. I can't give you guys the real substance of what it means to follow Jesus because you're not ready for it. You weren't ready for it and you're still not ready for it. You're still obsessed with the ways of the world. And when we have pastors writing letters of resignation saying, I can't do it anymore. I can't walk up here and talk to a group of people who think they've got it all figured out already and who aren't willing to learn and who aren't willing to be changed and transformed. I can't, I can't do this if we're not growing and learning and transforming together. I don't, I'm not interested in it. And the Apostle Paul was saying the same exact thing. See, change is hard like we talked about. Change is uncomfortable. When we go to and have that Sunday school mentality, what many of us do is we put on these, like horses do, we put on these blinders. See, it's really important for a horse to, to have blinders on because it's dangerous if a horse doesn't have blinders on. If a horse can see all the, all the crazy commotion at a state fair around them, a horse is going to freak out. It's going to become dangerous for the horse. It's going to be dangerous for the, for the people driving the horse and the people around. So you put blinders on the horse so it can't be distracted, so it's just focused on what's right in front of it. And this is the kind of spirituality that we embody in much of the American church. We put blinders on to reality in the world around us. We put blinders on to biblical scholarship that says here's a more healthy way to see the scriptures. We put blinders on when people try to really tell us their story of what it's like to be human. We put blinders on to the, to the complex gray world around us because we just want to see the black and white that's in front of us. But here's the deal, friends. We are not horses. Complexity is good. Getting it a little gray smashed into your black and white world is one of the best things that will ever happen to you as a follower of Jesus. Listening to someone's story that's different than what you learned in Sunday school might be the biggest gift that person could ever give you. Listening to a 
biblical scholars say the way that we've understood this text is not the way that it was intended might actually help us to understand the scriptures for the first time in, in a really long time. And it's not accidental that I'm giving you this message right now as we're about to head into this, this book of the Bible that almost all of us feel like we know, which is the book of Exodus. We're going to run into some things where scholars say some things about the story of Exodus that might make us feel a little uncomfortable, might challenge what we've been taught about the book of Exodus. And then we've got a decision to make. Are we going to prefer the black and white simplistic Sunday school spirituality that we've been given? Or are we willing to be challenged? Are we willing to be pressed? Are we interested in growing and changing and evolving? Because here's the big light bulb statement of the morning. You and I have not arrived. You and I are not done learning about what it means to be a follower of Jesus in the world around us. You and I have not learned what it means to interact with other humans as Jesus would interact with them. You and I have not learned all, that, all there is to know about the scriptures. How could we? Friends, do you have a growth mindset? Or do you have a fixed mindset? And if the answer is a fixed mindset, it's okay. See, that's human nature. It's, it makes sense to want to be around people who think like you. It makes sense to want to be around people who have the same politics as you. It makes sense to want to be around people who look like you and talk like you and think like you. But no growth happens in those kind of environments. Are we a church? Are we a community of followers of Christ who are dedicated to repenting, to changing over and over and over again? Let's stand and pray. Holy Spirit, um, I don't have the truth, but Jesus said that you would bring us into it. We, as followers of Jesus, as self-professed Christians, don't have the truth. See, the only way we could have the truth is if we have you, Jesus, because you said, I am the truth. I am the life. I am the way. And so if you want to walk in the way, of, if you want to have life, if you want to know truth, come and learn about me, Jesus said. So Jesus, would you forgive us for our arrogance? Would you forgive me for thinking that I've figured it out? That I'm in a position to be an authority or to teach or because of anything that I've come to understand, would you, Jesus, come and be our teacher and our leader at this church? Would you, Jesus, drive us at Bruce City Church and a church in America to repent? to change, and then to grow, to be committed more to you than the talking heads on the radio or on the internet, to listen to and follow the ways of our Lord Jesus rather than our political party. 
Would you open us to learn and to change and to grow more and more into your likeness, Jesus? And so now is just a punctuation on this morning as a, as a way to, to end our time saying, we love and follow you, Jesus, more than we love and follow this world and the ways of it and even ourselves. We just worship you as, a, as an act of submission, as an act of devotion, as an act of turning and rending our hearts towards you and, and softening our hearts which are fixed and becoming more and more solid and concrete. The older we get, we want to open ourselves and soften ourselves to you and your ways, Jesus. And so now it's just this external symbol of what's happening internally, we end our time with worshiping you, Jesus.